coming off the sub bench for this morning, I was thinking, what New Year's Day? What do we look at? What what passage will we turn to? And I was thinking about it and came back to this passage in, in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 4, that, that Rachel has just read for us. Um, and I trust this morning as we look at this for our short time together that it will be encouraging for you. And it also will be challenging for, for you and for I. And if you want a title for this, the title is Bold Moves. This is a passage where Jesus makes a bold move. And it's maybe not immediately apparent as we read the story, but as we dig into this, hopefully it'll become clear. So let me ask you a question. How many of you can sleep through absolutely anything? Doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter what's going on, you can sleep right through it. Probably many of us will have no problem this afternoon having a, a, a good lengthy little nap. Up late last night, we'll have no problem closing our eyes and, and nodding off. And it won't matter what noise is going on around us. Have you ever been so tired that you've slept right through a storm? Well, that's where we find Jesus here in this passage in Mark's gospel. So let's look first of all at the setting. Right away at verse 1, we discover that he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd were beside the sea on the land. So Jesus is here at the Sea of Galilee. He uses a boat as kind of a little preaching, floating preaching platform to teach the crowds that have gathered there on the shore to listen to Jesus. And the Sea of Galilee is really significant in the ministry of Jesus. It was his base for his ministry, this area around the Sea of Galilee. Um, many of his miracles and many of his messages took place in and around the Sea of Galilee. This was the area, this was the place where he trained his disciples, where he taught his followers. And this was the place where Jesus lived as a man, where he walked, where he talked, where he ate, where he slept, where he built relationships. It's a really significant geographical place in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and in the life and the ministry of Jesus. What is the Sea of Galilee? Let's dig in and understand a little bit about the setting where we find Jesus this morning. Well, in Numbers 34.11, we see that the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is known as Yam Kinneret. Kinnor, harp. And it's kind of harp-shaped when you look at it on a map or from above. It was known as the Sea of Tiberias, after the city that Herod Antipas had built on the shore of Galilee. And Galilee itself, in Hebrew, means ring. And that's a reminder that this lake is ringed around it by mountains on all sides except the north. The average depth of the Sea of Galilee is 84 feet. And the deepest spot's a good 150 feet deep. It's mentioned 40 times in the Gospels. There, at the time of Jesus, were about 16 fishing ports around the Sea of Galilee. 
And in Josephus' writings, we're told that there were about 230 fishing boats that were operating on the Sea of Galilee. It was a busy place. It was a place of commerce, a place of transportation, a place of community, a place where people lived and spent their lives. And as Jesus' movement continues to expand, here in these events that we've just read, it's about two years into the public ministry of Jesus. And he spent the day teaching the crowds on the shore. As I said, the boat became his floating pulpit. And indeed, on the northwestern shore of Lake Galilee, near Capernaum, if you go there today, there is a very distinctive bay where the land slopes down, kind of look somewhat like a Roman amphitheater. And even today, this natural formation possesses astonishing acoustics. And the acoustic center, the Israelis have investigated this, is about nine meters from the shore in the lake. And it's been proven that a human voice can carry very, very easily, effortlessly, from that acoustic center in that little area to people listening on the shore. May have been the very spot where Jesus taught the crowds that had gathered there that day to listen to him. And then picking up in verse 35 to 36, we see that on that day, then when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him. So the first thing we notice here is that it's evening. It's either dark or it's starting to get dark. And Jesus wants to go across the lake to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And that phrase that we read there in, in Mark's Gospel, they took him with them just as he was in the boat, just kind of simply means that since Jesus was already sitting in the boat when he was teaching, they simply left with Jesus sitting there to head across the lake. And the question is, why did Jesus want to go across the lake? What's the significance of this? Well, as Jesus' ministry grows and grows and grows and his popularity grows and grows, we see Jesus using the Sea of Galilee in the Gospels very often as a place to escape a place to recuperate with his leaders, with his disciples. Much of the next year of Jesus' ministry from this point on will happen on or around the shore, around this body of water. And Jesus often gets into the boat not to get to the other side of the lake, but simply to escape the pressures of the crowds, the demands of people on his time. And it's not because Jesus didn't love people. Of course not. It's because he was often exhausted. He wanted to be alone with his disciples to teach them. To help form and shape them. And I'm sure here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is exhausted. He has spent the day teaching. We have that body of teaching in Mark 4 from verse 2 through to verse 35. You can see what Jesus was teaching. No doubt he was tired. He must have been one incredibly tired man to sleep through the storm that breaks loose on the lake in just a few verses time. 
A storm that even professional fishermen thought they were about to lose their lives in. And I think in this passage in Mark 4, one of the things that we see is we see the humanity of Jesus through it all. We see Jesus was a person just like us. He got tired like we do. His ministry was all-consuming. It was extremely demanding. And Jesus, the God-man, needed a rest from time to time. And here we are at the start of a new year, 2017. Who knows what lies ahead of us? One thing we do know, it's going to get busy. It's going to get busy real quick. Come Tuesday, there's going to be a lot of grumpy people. All right, because the reality of being thrown back into life and work and all the demands and our pressure and time is going to be right there facing us. It's going to be a busy year in church. It's going to be a busy year for many, many people involved in leadership. And one of the things I think we learn from Jesus and that we should take seriously from Jesus is the importance of ensuring that we take that time out to rest, to reflect, to be with the Father. Because it's from our place of being with God that our doing for God flows. I think it's true that if we take care of the depth in our relationship with God and we invest time into building that intimacy with God, God will take care of the breadth of our impact. For him. So as you step into 2017, one of the bold moves, and it might not seem so bold at first glance, but one of the bold moves that we should make is that intention to consistently step back, retreat, be with God, be with the Father. Look at the Gospels time and time again. Jesus goes away to a quiet or to a lonely or to a desolate place to pray, to be with the Father. Before he appointed his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles, he spent the whole night in prayer before making that huge decision. And if Jesus, the God-man, the Son of God, needed to do it, how much more so do we, as followers of Jesus, need to do it? But having said all that, I don't think Jesus is on the boat this day to the other side for a rest. I think something else is happening here. Jesus isn't just taking a time out important as that is and as he often did. He's, on, he's intent on going to the other side. Jesus is on a mission in Mark chapter 4. And I think we're seeing Jesus' missionary zeal come through in this passage because when we understand what the other side was, then it begins to sink in because the other side to the south and to the east of the Lake of Galilee was an area that was known as the Decapolis, or the Ten Towns, or Ten Cities. And it was an area that was predominantly, if not exclusively, Gentile and pagan. 
The prophet Isaiah, writing hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus in Isaiah 9, 1-2, said that Galilee was Galilee of the Gentiles. This was, this had been Jewish frontier territory. But as Isaiah also had prophesied, the people there would see a great light. But for the great light to come, for the gospel to go to the other side, it was going to require some bold moves. This journey to the other side of the lake was a bold move from Jesus. And bold moves are significant for a number of reasons. I think bold moves demonstrate faith. They demonstrate confident faith. Bold moves break us out of our comfort zones with what's familiar. And they open doors for God to show up in a supernatural way. Bold moves are critical because they change the course of history. Just look back through history and see time and time again the decisions, bold move decisions that were made that changed the course of history. So let me ask a question of us all this morning, myself included. What is in 2017 our other side? What is the other side for you, for me? What bold moves might we need to make to shine the light of the gospel there? What bold move will God speak into your heart and my heart for the year ahead? So Jesus is on a mission. And Jesus is the starter and the finisher of this missionary endeavor. He said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Jesus said it, so it's going to happen. And it did. But in between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise... There's a time span. Things happen in that time span. And the disciples, very often, like you and I, they forget what Jesus said. But Jesus always does as he promises us. If Advent and Christmas teaches anything, is that God keeps his promises, ancient and true. No matter what happens, he will do it. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And when God calls, it's time to go. And credit to the disciples here of Mark's gospel, because when Jesus spoke, they obeyed. They obeyed right away, and they went with him. And Jesus later said that people who were his disciples are those who obey him. John 14, verse 23. And that's what the disciples did, and that's what we must do. We must be ready to do what he asks us to do. And in this, Jesus is our example. When he said to cross over in the boat, he went and so did his followers. And so do we when he calls us to make those bold moves in our lives. And this is significant for these disciples. They're going to a place they shouldn't be in and didn't really want to go to. It's unfamiliar territory for these disciples, these good disciples. Jewish boys. The disciples felt inadequate as they go across to the other side. But Jesus says, let's go. 
And to go to the other side, they had to forsake some things. They had to let some things go. They had to forsake the crowds. They had to forsake the popularity. They had to forsake the safety and the familiarity of what was immediately there in front of them. Perhaps the prestige, maybe even the comfort to go to somewhere that would be uncomfortable. And to get to the other side, well, what do they use? They use what they had. They're boats. Little fishing boats, probably about 8 meters long, 2.3 meters wide. And they head across the lake. I think there's a lesson for us there too. God has given each one of us gifts and skills and abilities. And we need to use them. Simply by offering God what we have. If you're good with people, God will use that. If you're good with numbers and figures and computers, God will use that. Whatever it is, God will use it. And always be open to what God wants to show you and do through you. And sometimes it might stretch you. And sometimes it might take you to uncomfortable places. But when God calls, it's time to go. Let's look then briefly at what takes place in these main verses. Verse 37, verse 36. They took Jesus and we discover that when Jesus is all you've got, Jesus is more than enough. Because the story continues in a dramatic fashion with this terrible storm that blows up in verse 37. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boats were already filling. The Sea of Galilee is subject to sudden storms because of its geography. If you're a geography student, you may know that it sits on the Syrian-African rift. The Sea of Galilee is the Second lowest body of water on earth. The Dead Sea being the lowest. The Sea of Galilee, the, certainly the lowest body of fresh water on earth. And it's subject to, to cool winds from the east pouring over the Golden Heights. And they often collide with warm winds blowing from the Mediterranean Sea and dipping downward into the Sea of Galilee. And that can produce a very sudden Storm. It's kind of like what happens in your house whenever the back door's open and someone opens the front door, even on a nice, calm day, and you get that wind that just whistles through and doors start slamming. That can happen on a much bigger scale in the Syrian-African Rift, where the Sea of Galilee sits. In March 1992, there was a storm in the Sea of Galilee that sent 10-foot-high waves crashing into downtown Tiberias causing significant damage. And this was an intense storm, a furious storm. In Matthew, it's referred to as seismic. In Mark, it's referred to as megas. It's a furious, furious 
storm. Imagine riding ten-foot squalls in a little fishing boat. The wind pushing the waves over the side of the boat, filling up with water. And if this didn't stop, these boats would sink. It was a real crisis. It's a bad situation. And among Jesus, followers were some of the most experienced fishermen. They'd spend their lives on this lake. They knew it well. And they thought, in verse 38, that they were about to perish. And I think this gives us an insight into what's going on here because I don't think this is a natural storm at all. I think there was a great fear that came on these disciples. And likely this storm had come from, from some kind of evil that caused it. I believe it's a demonic storm. When we read Mark's gospel, and the powers of darkness are launching their attack to drown Jesus' venture to the other side. To prevent Jesus going, this dangerous man, into this realm. And you see strong evidence if you read on through Mark's gospel for that. Mark always presents Jesus as the challenger of demons. And for the disciples, Jesus had promised to get across to the other side. It seems like the storm's going to overwhelm and sink this word that Jesus had spoken. And here's one thing for sure. That as you and I head into a new year, 2017, there's going to be some storms that come our way. There'll be things happen that we don't see coming. There'll be things that will frighten us. There'll be things where we, there'll be times where we feel out of our depth, not sure if we can cope. But there's encouragement here because one word from Jesus changes everything. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. He's unaware of the crisis taking place, the storm raging. And in verse 38, they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're perishing? These disciples are in a panic. It sounds like a harsh thing to say to Jesus. Don't you even give a rip about what's happening to us right now? They're sure they're going to die. And they wake Jesus up and they complain that he doesn't seem to care about them. And undoubtedly they wanted Jesus to do something, but I don't think they had any idea what that could be. And then in verse 39 to 40 we see that he awoke And he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Silence, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Jesus told the wind to stop and he told the sea to shut up by the mere power of his words. And the storm and the waves cease. And there is a calm. It went from being a great windstorm in verse 37 to being a great calm in verse 39. And then Jesus turns to his disciples, and in a way, he rebukes them. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He questions their faith. I always wondered why. As I thought about this, and as I read around this and studied this, 
I finally realized. He questions their faith because it took them so long to wake him up. It took them so long to wake him up. He didn't expect them to still the storm. But he expected them to know him well enough by now that he's never too busy or he's never too tired to save the day. And as you head into a new year and storms will come, take heart. Jesus, he's not asleep. He's conscious of what's going on in your life and around you. He cares. And he's capable. One word from him can change it. And even if it doesn't change, he's with you in it. And that makes all the difference. Jesus is in charge. He's in charge of everything. And one day every knee will bow to him on earth and under earth and in heaven. He's complete power. And there's nothing in your world or your life that, not, cannot, that can't change with one word from the king. And sometimes it's hard for us to believe this, but it's true. There's no situation too big for God that he can't handle or he can't bring change in. One word from him. He can bring healing. He can bring restoration, deliverance, change, peace, hope, encouragement. He can open people's eyes spiritually to the truth about himself. I wonder, have you got any storms brewing in your life right now? Maybe you've spent 2016 battling the storm. God is waiting for you to come to the end of yourself to call on him. Practice saying, God, see of the day amidst the storms in your life. If you were to look at the rest of the story, you would notice that it went from being a great storm to being a great calm on the lake to a great fear on the part of the disciples. They look at Jesus and it's an awe because they've seen God act in power. They'd seen Jesus teach with great authority. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him cast out demons. But this was something entirely new, something more astounding. And it caused them to ask, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him. God is stronger than the storm he sees. He's stronger than the forces of evil and chaos. And they get to the other side. And what's the first thing they encounter on the other side? They encounter a demon-possessed man. A demon-possessed man. And Jesus casts out the demon, legion into a herd of pigs, and those pigs come crashing down the, the, the hillside into the sea, and they're drowned. 
There was a great storm in the lake and a great calm and then a great fear in the part of the disciples. And there was a great storm in this demon-possessed man and Jesus healed him and there was a great calm in his life and then there was a great fear in the community. And they asked Jesus to leave. They asked Jesus to leave. Leave the area. And it seems when you get to Mark 5, Mark 6, it just seems like the door on Jesus' mission to the other side has been closed shut. But it hadn't. This demon-possessed man had come to Jesus at the end of that encounter and he'd said to Jesus, Take me with you. Let me go with you. And Jesus says, no, go home and tell them what God has done for you. And you don't find out really until you read further into Mark's gospel to discover what happens. Because the next time Jesus comes back to the Decapolis, months later, 4,000 people show up. And we have that incredible miracle where Jesus feeds the 4,000. A door that had seemed shut, God had opened and done immeasurably more than anyone could have imagined because he's a great God and he doesn't change. God bless you as you enter 2017. In the storms, may you remember Your Savior isn't slumbering and sleeping. He's waiting on you to call him to save the day. May you and I make bold moves that will take us to the other sides in our life that we might shine the light of the gospel there, that we might see a great God do great things. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for... Mark's gospel, thank you for this story, this exciting story, this story that we have heard again and again and again. If we've grown up in the church, if we've been familiar with the gospel stories, as we look at it again this morning, we discover fresh truths, new challenges, and much encouragement. And for that, Lord, we give you thanks. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.